the entrepreneur. You know, moving from Orange Grove, Mississippi to Anchorage, Alaska in 1953 at the age of 10 was no small adventure. Like moving from the last holdout of the Confederacy to the last frontier. And as you might surmise, it was a military move. And my dad was, uh, he was flown to Alaska and my mother and my sister and I had to find our own way. Well, it was, uh, it was my idea that we take a Greyhound bus to uh, see the country. And uh, a week later, <laughs> we got out of the bus in Seattle and my mother and my sister wanted to kill me. So listen up, ladies. When you, uh, when you uh, take the advice of the 10-year-old boy and things don't work out the way you had planned, you can't come back for retribution. You know, he's 10 years old. <laughs> Keep that in mind. So anyway, we, uh, we get to Seattle. And the thing I remember most about Seattle was the inoculations. Alaska was uh, a territory, it was an overseas move, and we had to be inoculated against everything. Who would have guessed? You know, we had to get the polio boosters and um, everything imaginable, uh, typhoid and tetanus and cholera and yellow fever and black death and <laughs> God, you name it. It's like, then we get on a boat, the USS Funston, and it reminded me of getting on a uh, you know, the, that freighter in the black and white King Kong movie going to the mysterious volcanic island. Um, so I'm playing shuffleboard and watching whales. Sure enough, a week out of Seward, there's a rumor that goes around the ship that there's been a volcanic eruption. And Anchorage is another Pompeii. And I'm thinking, wow, how cool is that? Of course, my mother's having a fit because my dad's already there. <laughs> so we get off the ship in Seward and we get on the train. And uh, I remember going through Portage Flats, looking out either side of the train at the herds of moose out there, ungulates. Uh, the biggest wild animal I'd seen was an opossum or a <laughs> raccoon. <laughs> and we get into Anchorage, and sure enough, uh, it looked like they'd had a party for us the day before we got there, and the only thing left was the mess. There was volcanic ash over everything. And if you were too lazy to bend over and pick it up, you could buy it in little jars with labels on them in curio shops for years thereafter. Some uh, enterprising persons reach for wealth, which is what this story is all about. So I find myself immediately um, in what appears to be a gold mine, Richardson Vista. Never thought about it that way, did you? <laughs> well, apartment after apartment after apartment, three-story buildings full of transient people, mostly civil service and military. And we've all thrown away perfectly good things when we moved, right? So just going through the dumpsters was like dredging for gold. We used to get furniture out of them and use them to decorate the pillboxes on the hillside that we fancied as forts. We uh, found a couple of perfectly good corrugated metal 
sheets that we made into sleds and slid down the gravel hill down to Ship Creek. I look at that hill today and I think, wow, you know, it's a wonder I'm still here. <laughs> so, my dad made a uh, shoe shine box for me. And I went out to the 500-man barracks, and I'd cruise through the barracks, shooting the bull with the guys and shining shoes. Um, how many of you would allow a 10-year-old son of yours to go to a 500-man barracks today and just roam around? You know, there are too many weirdos out there today. <laughs> Where'd they all come from? Just the, maybe it's the fluoride in the water. Anyway, I'm out there shining shoes, having a ball, and... I noticed that there are pop bottles laying all over the place. Well, pop bottles were 10 cents at the Piggly Wiggly store. I'm learning that, you know, money's not all that hard to make. All you got to do is be aware, look around, put the pieces together. So I go over to Piggly Wiggly, and I borrow one of their shopping carts, and I start hauling pop bottles to them from the 500-man barracks. So... I got a paper route, too, and it was a pretty big paper route, and, and I had a buddy that had one right next door, and uh, we decided that we would uh, not deliver the paper every other Friday, <laughs> and we would, we would take them instead to the gate where everybody was lined up in their cars to go home after work and sell them for 10 cents apiece. <laughs> Of course, I would keep a couple aside in case somebody complained. <laughs> and I'm not real proud of that, but, you know, guys got to experiment. Um, so, anyway, I get this really good idea. It's the best idea of all. My sister was a freshman or a sophomore in high school at the time. And uh, she was a knockout. She was like the, the uh, living embodiment of pulchritude. And I, and I had this picture of her, a school picture, um, wearing a tight sweater, showing off a couple of her more prominent attributes. <laughs> and I took that picture after the 500-man barracks. <laughs> and, the, and the deal went like this. You, you subscribe to the Anchorage Times for 30 days, pay in advance, and I give you my sister's phone number. <laughs> what a bonanza. <laughs> Until the phone started ringing. <laughs> 24 hours a day. My, my, my sister liked getting phone calls from guys, but not every Tom, Dick, and Harry on Elmendorf Air Force Base. And I remember the plaintive cry, Daddy, make him stop! And the subsequent licking I got. And it was, uh, it was the last licking I, I ever got from my dad. Uh, but because of that licking, it, um, that was the, the only really good idea I had, business idea, for the next 15 years. Joku Charlie's would just have to bide his time. <laughs>